Albert Einstein once said, it is the supreme art of the teacher to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge. Tonight's artist is the living embodiment of this statement. An academic, a composer, and a performer, Kenyatta Beasley has been dedicated to kindling that spark of individual artistry in his audience and showing them how to let their light shine brightly. After years behind the scenes recording and performing with some of popular music's top acts, he's here tonight to give us a taste of his new music and band. I'm your host, Wes Jackson, and stay right here because in the next hour, we're gonna bring you a copious demonstration of musical capacity right here on B-Side. Right, that was that was serious right there. We need a moment to, to gather ourselves. Let's all take a deep breath together. <laughs> exactly, take a big, 
In through the nose, out through the mouth. <laughs> Mr. Beasley. Yes. We know who you are, but introduce me to the rest of the fellas. Keith Loftus on tenor saxophone. <laughs> As I stumble on <laughs> Alvester Garnett on the drums. <laughs> Mr. John Chen on Nord Electro Lead 73 Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> And Corcoran Holt on the bass. So I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about how you all got together, maybe. But let's start with you. Where, where are you from? You're not from New York. Where, not where? from New York. I'm originally from uh, born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Right on, right on. Yeah. Where all of this started. Right. Well, it's the birthplace of jazz. Nice. So how did you get started playing? And um, how early was it? Well, the the, the story has it that my, my dad's a trumpet player. So there's always been like a, a trumpet in, in my house where it, for my entire life, you know, from me living here or just me being down there, there's always been some form of a trumpet laying around the house. So when I was three years old, supposedly I went up and grabbed the trumpet and started playing it. And from that day on, I've been, um, you know, trying to figure this thing out since then. Yeah. Were you like waiting in the wings in, in some of your father's gigs? No. Did he play professional or just around the no, house? No, he was a professional trumpet player, but I mean, he, I mean, I think he, he, the way that he tells the story, I was playing with some blocks or something and walked in and he heard a note, like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> oh, and you hit the note. As and, a, and it was like, you know, the most basic note, if you just put a horn to your face, you yeah. and. I was recruited from that to <laughs> that moment on. And I'm like, man, this is a blessing. Playing a trust, sometimes a curse sometimes. Right, right. So did he teach you or what, did you start? My, my getting... dad was my first teacher. Okay. So for like, man, be, between the ages of three and I want to say like 10 to 11 years old, we had a father-son, uh, you know, duo that used to just play oh, around wow. the streets of New Orleans. And, you know, so it's me all around the French Quarter meeting older musicians, the, uh, the Ellis Marcellises, wow. the Harold Baptiste, and, you know, like now having these, uh, these, these other father figures in music to, like, um, to, to look up to. Right. Is your father still with us? Yeah, he's still with us. He's, oh, that's, uh, he's, yeah. down, he's down in Houston, still playing. Okay. So I see here, now what is this you playing a young Louis Armstrong in the music? Was it the Satchmo, the musical? Was that what it was? Well, uh, that right? at the age of nine or ten, I want to say nine, I auditioned for the role of young Louis Armstrong in a touring musical called Satchmo, America's Musical Legend. So out of maybe like 2,000 kids, you know, from a national search, they chose me to play young Louis Armstrong. So that was actually my first time being on the road at like nine years old with wow. all these great, like, all these great musicians. And in the show, Harry Connick Jr. is the uh, he was the first piano player to show. So I'm, he was from New Orleans, and we kind of like connected and hooked up. So. Is this sort of before he became Oh, this, of, yeah, this is like Harry right out of high school, like first moving oh, to wow. New York. So he was like, like the first piano player for that show. So what was that like? That's got to be mad. I mean, I can't imagine. Well, it was different because I was so used to playing a trumpet. Now I had to start acting, mm. you know, and uh, to, to, to be nine and you're in the fourth grade, get on the airplane, come to New York, have to figure out, memorize the script and now you're a SAG member all of a sudden. I'm like, uh, and you're trying to figure out, well, what's my next line? So it was, it was, it was a definite transition. I think they wanted me because I could play, I could play some trumpet and it was from New Orleans, but they saw some acting potential. So that was actually my first acting gig. Right. Was nine. your dad with you or were well, you? Well, yeah. Well, he was escorting me because you know yeah. he's killing a nine-year-old. I would, I would certainly hope not. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. so yeah, he was, uh, the, you know, all, all the cities, man. He just dropped what he was doing to come and make sure that, you know, I had a successful run. So, so even, I just want to talk a little bit more about New Orleans because, you know, I'm a New York guy. I'm kind of like a hip-hop guy. Mm -hmm. This is where hip-hop started. New right. Orleans is where jazz started. Right. So what's it like sort of being a young jazz player? Is it really, is it highly competitive? Is it just sort of in the in the air that you breathe? Is is everybody walking around with horns you know at what, a young it, age? Or you know, I just get a, a snapshot. You know what? You know, uh, everything you said is true. Um, they're just kids with instruments. Yeah. So, like, for, for example, when I was in high school, I used to take public transportation to school. So you get off the bus and you would just see kids with, like, like a tenor saxophone with no case. Just walking <laughs> down the street. And, 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 and it was weird. It was weird because it was common just to see some guy with a snare drum. Yeah. You know, and it's so the music is literally all around you. And down there, like, kids start playing at, like, two, three years old. So you have all these musical families as well. Like, you have, like, the Marsalises, the Georges, right. all these different people. So uh, as far as it being competitive, as far as um, anything, anybody playing trumpet, it's really competitive. Right. So it's because the spirit of uh, Louis Armstrong just permeates the entire city. So as soon as you get out the airplane, you can just kind of feel like, is that Louis Armstrong? <laughs> and actually, I, I think that's the first thing you see when you get off at the airport. There's a big mural of Louis right, Armstrong, right. like in, in like as as like uh, this angel in the wings, looking over um, everybody in jazz. Yeah, it's so beautiful to keep your legs set. But real quick, your high school was it New Orleans Center of Creative Arts? The New got Orleans that right? Center for Creative Arts. It's the same high school that let me see uh, that Wendell Pierce went to. Okay. So it's it's basically. Um, LaGuardia, the LaGuardia Performing Arts, but yeah. it's in New Orleans. Right. So it really got famous because the first students were um, Ellis and Bradford Marcellus. The very first. Right, because their dad, Ellis Marcellus, was the was the teacher there. Okay, gotcha. So it was uh, became Whitten, Bradford, uh, Terrence Blanchard, wow, Donald Harrison, and Nicholas Payton, and all these like right now it was like trombone shorty. Okay. Like so we have all those graduates that have kind of like we we run the world.
So tell us about the, you saying the good brother who composed those songs and I guess everything so, we're gonna um, rock tonight. After my first taste of coming to New York at nine or 10 years old, you start to feed off the energy of the city. So by that point, I didn't want to be in New Orleans anymore. My whole focus was to move to New York mm -hmm. when I turned 18 and to go to school up here and figure out, you know, how do I compare against some of the world's best musicians? Just like, every, just like everybody else up here. When I first got here, I enrolled in the new school, and that's why I first met Keith. So it's been over 20 years now that, you know, we've known each other, and our first ensemble teacher was Frank Foster. Mm -hmm. So being from the small New Orleans bubble that, you know, I was living in, I'm like, well, who's this guy? <laughs> Frank yeah, Foster. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I realized I had no idea who he was until I went to the person who, like, you know, helped to run the Mammoth School of Music, and he says, man, you don't know who Frank Foster is. <laughs> and he gave yeah. me one of those looks, like, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I, I became that guy, like, you know, I, you don't know who this is. The more that we got to know him, uh, he became like a mentor to us. And he was like, uh, I think he, we first met him as he was leaving the Count Basie Orchestra. He took over as a director of the Count Basie Orchestra right after Count Basie died. Wow. So in order to kind of restore the band to its glory days, they brought him, one of the first stars of the band, back to run the band again. So after he was done, he, you know, he was always into like teaching and he first met him as our ensemble director at the new school. So he both, he put uh, Keith and myself in like most of his bands and we got to tour the world with him. And it's the, um, the, the, the ultimate paid internship. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I was about to say, so you guys were students playing, not, not professional, quote unquote, well, well you were professional students. Professional students, <laughs> right, 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 right. Right, exactly. right, right. right. <laughs> so, yes. where, so you're going where? We're talking like worldwide, mm -hmm. Japan, Germany, Europe, stuff like yep. that? Mm -hmm. Wow. And what was that like? It's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had the opportunity to, to be in the band and to study with him privately right. as a saxophonist. So. so you would study, you'd be at the new school study and be like, all right, guys, now it's time. We got some gigs. Right. We're yeah, going to go yeah, out back was, and forth. It was uh, literally, <laughs> the funny thing about music is that your, your best education comes on the bandstand. Right. Not really in the classroom. We can talk it over as much as we want, but eventually we have to execute those ideas, you know. With, so being with him, we got to be with all like the great New York musicians. A lot, a lot of guys who, um, you know, people don't really talk about. Because, you know, in jazz, there are only a certain few New stars because it is a niche music. Right. So even guys like Frank Foster, they'll they'll get overlooked by jazz history, no matter what their contributions actually were. But being um, for me playing with Frank Foster, man, I got to meet with play with George Benson, uh, uh, play with uh, you know Clark Terry, John Faddis, all of these jazz superstars. And me being like 20 years old, I'm like, oh, <laughs> whoa. Right. So I mean, without him, I mean. Man, it's like that, that was really my introduction into like the real musicians of, uh, of New York City. Right. So are these songs that, so when did the songs that we're listening to tonight, when did he write those? For, for new or these? Oh, these are all those, these are, these are all those songs. I mean, um, yeah. um, Frank passed away in 2011. Okay. And the reason I did this record, I was uh, originally teaching at Ohio State University. And ironically, he actually helped, helped me by writing my recommendation letter. You okay. Know, for the gig. So once they saw, oh, Frank Foster put, put his name on this, it was like, oh, right this way. Right. So to be at Ohio State, you, you in theory have to do like some form of research to, uh, you know, people, you know, 
be promoted, you know, further and further. Right. Um, in regards to getting tenure at a university. So the guy who hired me, um, Dr. Ted McDaniel, said, man, why don't you go and help him write a jazz arranging and composition book, which would require, would require me to fly from Columbus to Chesapeake, Virginia, where he moves oh, the, back okay. and forth. So by this point, he already had a stroke, and um, it, it didn't really make sense to kind of like get the memories from him and try to like write a book from it. So I was having issues just putting the whole project together because there was so much information that he was just giving me about, about arranging. How do we put it all in the book? So what happens is that he says, hey, look, why don't you just do a record of some songs mm. that I'd like to have play my own material. You put the arrangements together, get the band together, and record a record. Right. So uh, about a year later, and right before he died, he starts sending me all these songs that we're playing now. Record this. Record wow. this. So now, it, so now I'm like holding a holding a torch for this legend who wants you to record the songs. So right. We decided to record the songs live right here in Brooklyn at a place called Jazz Nine Six Six Fulton Street. It's actually down the block. Yeah, That's about right. to say that got to yeah. be right yeah. up the way. It's literally yeah. down the block. So um, you know, it's, it's we 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 wanted to do some of these songs because, as you can hear, all of these songs have a certain amount of character to them. Yeah. So, you know, we wanted to have an audience that. For the ones that you want to get up and dance to, they got up and dance. But for the more sophisticated crowd who wants to, <laughs> we want to. We, we is that wanna, us? Are we the sophisticated? Crowd? Well, I mean, this is a TV audience. We're, we're going to mess up the camera blocking, <laughs> right. man. If everybody starts getting up and dancing, right, so right. We, we, let, let's 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 keep it together. Let's right. keep it together. So no, we uh we have to find the right audience. You can do this at at a Birdland or somewhere like that, but you can lose like the the audience participation that jazz needs. Because really, it's jazz is all about the energy of the audience. Right. Over there, they really enjoy life, love to listen to music, and it, would be it was a great place to actually record the record. So, Wynn Marcellus is one of the guests on the record, Mark Whitfield, a lot of wow. other jazz legends. Keith, Albestus playing drums. We got a great band and we, we lucked out and everything, all the stars seemed to align. Yeah, so what's the name of the album that? The name of the record is going to be the Kenyatta Beasley Septet Presents Frank Foster songbook. Okay, sounds good. So, all right, well, I'm gonna, we want, I wanted to get into the next wave of your career going to NYU yeah. and scoring, but let's get into some more songs.
that's a beautiful song, beautifully. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that one blows you away. Yeah. We have some other questions, but it makes you think about the sort of the nature of the performances, right? Is that, does it ever sort of bother you that this sort of spectator sport, we're just sort of sitting here and watching you? But I really, there's so much emotion. It's like, I feel like we should be doing something, right? We should be dancing, we should be moving. This idea of jazz is like us sort of standing and watching. I have theories. Does it bother yeah. you? Or? I have theories. <laughs> Briefly, because we do want to get oh, okay, okay. some well, well, okay. That's the whole thesis at Ohio <laughs> State, right there. Um, all right, jazz is really a celebratory music by nature, right? Coming from New Orleans, really supposed to be something where it's audience participation, people up and dancing, people contributing, to, you know, to, to the music. So I mean, really, that's what I was saying before. Like when you have an active crowd who feels like they're part of a band, it's almost like this this osmosis, this, yeah. this 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 relationship to both sides. And I'm used to people getting up, yelling, screaming, celebrating, letting right. you know how they feel. <laughs> hey man, you need you need a drink, you need a drink. <laughs> All right, blah blah blah. And, you know, and it's and it's used. I mean, in New Orleans, you got to keep in mind it's a very festive thing, even when the person dies. Right. That. They're buried, and then on their way back from the cemetery, we having a party again to actually celebrate your life. Right. So I mean, really, that's what I'm used. To, I'm so used to jazz being that way to be in New York and have it to be where it's in this. Hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So that's when it cha It changes. It changes when it comes. Well, up here, I, I, a little I bit more as, big business. As, as the music like moved north, it got a little more, you know, sophisticated. Yeah. And it became like, I guess, sort of a European-based thing, where it's like you're going to the opera, classical yeah. music, and you're and you sit and, and you observe it that way. But to me, man, look, if you feel it, tap your foot, get up and dance, Let's make some noise. But you can't do that in every establishment, right. obviously. Right. Well, there's so, even laws against that. Yeah. In some yeah, places, well, yeah. Right? <laughs> when you can't even dance. Yeah. So, so I mean, camera. that's how I actually feel about, you know. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really it's really audience involved, man. They're yeah. part of the band too. So. Right, because I and that's why I, I just feel you could feel the yeah. emotion. Right, absolutely. And I feel almost awkward, not participating and, and y'all talking to each. I don't know. You have you go into another space. <laughs> He's talking to somebody, and it's beautiful, right? And all the silent communication you guys are living and breathing, regardless of. of oh, where usually we on are. the band stand is me just screaming directions. Hey, beat, no, beat. Is that normally how yeah, it is? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's beautiful, but everybody's moving in a in a sort of a, it's it, right. You are conducting the orchestra. It's right. all as as one sort of movement. Right. Um, but let's just get back to it. So you come back up in here because I want to talk a little bit about your career scoring films, right? Because then after you go to new school, you go to NYU. Um, is this before you get the job at Ohio State? This is everything about me teaching is relatively new. I want to okay, say like starting in two, two, like 2009 okay. years ago. But um, I did like a year and a half on a roll with Lauren Hill. So that was right around the time she released the record of The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Okay. And I actually had the opportunity to actually work with her and the Fugees for a brief, you know, a brief period of time before they dissolved. So she brought some of the same members of the horn section to work with her band for the Miseducation right. tour. You know, once you start seeing the difference between like hip hop and jazz, you're like, wait a second, these hip hop guys got some money. Is, is that the difference? I was about to, what is, is it? So you start to kind of like lean in that direction. And like, you know what? Yeah, let me. Uh, Those session gigs get a little. Yeah, look, you start the session gigs are yeah. a, a little bit different. I mean, because, you know, you got to keep in mind, like I said, jazz is a very niche music, it's very sophisticated music, you know, and hip hop, oh man, that's like, you know. Right now is for the people. So at that point, we were. Um, that's when like Bad Boy was just like. Right, right. I mean, when I moved to Brooklyn, um, I used to live on Washington and Gates, and 
and I used to see um, Biggie all the time. Yeah, yeah, I live right near there. Yeah, yeah. St. James and that, and that area. So you would see, so you, it's like I'm playing jazz and I'm doing these hip hop gigs and everything you know, starts to work together. So after that, you start to understand that being a musician, and that's for all of us, we always need to find ways to diversify our portfolio mm. as far as how we're going to make income. Because sometimes you might have a really great year, sometimes you might have a bad year. Yeah. So I, got, I started to get off into like this production, and I had a roommate, Derek Prosper, who was a, um, I'm getting to the film score and stuff. Take your time, back. It's your work. No, uh, so he actually, that was my first taste of doing music production and making beats. So he was an A&R for G-Unit Records, so I'm figuring out how to, to cop hip-hop stuff and like, oh, wow. you know, coming up with beats and stuff as just another way just to make some more money and, you know. But, you know, I have a, a genuine affection for hip-hop as it is. So as that begins to progress, I remember talking to Terrence Blanchard, and he was talking about the work that he was doing. And I'm saying, mm. you know what? Film scoring sounds pretty I up. see. And I said, let me take all this information and see if I can, like, just, you know, throw some musicality and some and some film. So I went to NYU, studied film scoring, and I started to get film scoring work, you know, which is totally different, because that was not part of the plan. Right. So what is it, just before we get into the next song, what was the new skill you had to learn for film scoring? Um, right? What is the angle? Because I think we all know what it is, but then we don't know what it is. Well, so what is it? Coming from a jazz background, as you guys can already hear, there's a lot of notes involved sometimes. Right. In film, it's not about your notes. It's all about creating an atmosphere and, and mood that's really just some another character that's being used to support the moving, you know, the, the, the moving images on the screen. Right. Not really about your musicianship. It's not really about how great you do things. You're, you're, you're now learning how to be the person in the background to give support to something else. And I was totally fine doing that. Like, okay. I mean, because I always wanted to be like, a, to a certain point, like more of a behind the scenes kind of person. You know, so that's, you know. Right.
Well, listen, we're going to have to get out of here a little bit. We're going to say goodbye to everybody. That was an extraordinary delivery of musicianship and presentation. Thank you, Kenyatta and the band, for gracing us with your presence and your multidimensional compositions and allowing us to really experience the essence of jazz. Uh, you can follow Kenyatta on Instagram and Twitter, at Kenyatta Beasley. I'm your host, Wes Jackson. I hope you enjoyed this time with us. Be sure to go back and check out past episodes of B-Side anytime. And be sure to come back for more of the best music in Brooklyn. Side podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Kyrell Palmer. For more information about B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, check out brickartsmedia.org slash radio. Yeah.